And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back. It's another episode of The Athletic Hockey Show. Ian Mendes and Sean McAdoo, down goes Brown uh, with you for this one ahead of the podcast. We'll ask Sean how he's feeling in advance of a historic uh, matchup between the Montreal Canadiens and Toronto Maple Leafs. Death, taxes, and Nazem Kadri crossing the line in the playoffs. We'll chat about how the Av Center can't seem to stay out of trouble in the postseason. Jesse Granger will drop by for Granger Things. We'll talk about some of the early betting trends that he's seeing in the first week of this Stanley Cup playoffs. We've got some of your questions to tackle, including TV timeouts in overtime. Have they always been a thing? And this week in hockey history looks back at Stefan Matteau's overtime winner and a trade in which the Montreal Canadiens fleeced the California Golden Seals. And as we kick off this show, speaking of the Montreal Canadiens, uh, Sean, I got to get to your your honest opinion here. I know that every Leafs fan is like, oh, you know, we're always nervous and whatever. But like legitimately, we have waited our entire lifetime. We have never, we have not, we're not old enough to have remembered a Montreal Toronto series. So how is Down Goes Brown, arguably the most famous Toronto Maple Leafs fan feeling right now on the day of game one? Yeah, somewhere like Mike Myers and Will Arnett just threw their their phones out a window hearing you say that uh it's yeah i mean look i'm excited for it i have been saying all year long i want it this matchup uh this is this is going to be great and it's also going to be horrible it, it's going to be absolutely uh just a disaster for in terms of the next couple of weeks on on twitter on the call-in shows on, on everywhere uh because this is this is the the two by far biggest fan bases in in the country 
and maybe in the league as a whole going head to head. And uh, it's it's going to be something to watch. And look, the Leafs on paper are the big favorites. There's there's no galaxy brain take that I can give you that says that Montreal should win the series. Uh, Toronto is is better or at least close enough in, in just about every uh, every. every line on the checklist that you would go down uh before a series but it's the modern nhl it's the era of parody anyone who thinks that this is anywhere close to a sure thing uh hasn't been paying attention to these teams and hasn't been paying attention to the league this is this is a, a league where you can build a dream team and you can put them up against a, a, a team that is nowhere near them and you're maybe a 75 percent chance to Maybe eighty percent. That's a big favorite. I don't think the Leafs are are that high, but the, that that's about as high as you could get. That's a big favorite. That still leaves a really big chance that you could see an upset, and certainly not to get ahead of ourselves. Because again, the, the Leafs should win this series and, and maybe even win it relatively quickly. Uh, boy, if Montreal can hang around and make a series of this, and if they could ever win this series, the fallout in Toronto is going to be just all types of of madness from the fan base to the media and, and everywhere else. Uh, it would really be something to see. So not there yet. Again, Leafs, Leafs should win the series, but the the Canadians absolutely have got a shot at this. And uh, it's going to be, it's going to be very nervous times for both fan bases. You know, and I think that this has the potential to end up being arguably the most watched or highest rated uh, broadcast in Canadian and NHL history. I think about it. If you think about it, this is, I think, akin, Sean, to Yankees Red Sox in baseball, where even if you were like a, a fan of another team, there's really no gray area with the Yankees and Red Sox. And there was some terrific drama and theater. And when iconic franchises meet with the postseason backdrop, I think it just amplifies things. We have we have not seen Habs Leafs. So I think even if you're a fan of any other team, there's this sort of almost morbid curiosity factor of you know, I hate them both and I got to cheer for maximum chaos or I just, you know, I, I, and probably maximum chaos would be Toronto losing the series in some way, shape or form as you, as you outlined. But I think this has the potential to have so many eyeballs on it because I really think even if you're not a fan of one of these two, two, two teams, they elicit so many emotions in you that you're bound to tune in. Yeah. And I'm curious to see that because we've, we've seen, you know, certainly, if you're talking about TV ratings in this country, there there seems to be a limit on how many hockey fans you can get to watch an NHL game. If it's just a purely, this is a very interesting NHL game in this country, you can get three, four, maybe five million people to watch. But it's when that game jumps the track and becomes something bigger than that. Uh, and and certainly, I mean, you look at the ratings for the Olympics, that would be the the example where Canada's going for a gold medal. Now you're talking 10 million plus uh, numbers that the NHL could never get to. Something like the Raptors going on their run. I think they got up around 7 or 8 million. I think based on what I was able to, to, to Google, that the record in Canada is Game 7 of the Canucks Bruins series, uh, which maybe is... is Maybe a little bit of a surprise only because you, you you might think it would be a two Canadian team thing. But at that point, the Canadian team gets to game seven of the Stanley Cup. Everybody's watching regardless of who you cheer for. 
I don't know if a round one series is going to get into that range unless this becomes one of those series where it really it just we we get all sorts of drama we get all sorts of storylines i mean you mentioned red sox yankees you know we all remember that that series with the three nothing comeback that was one where even if and you know i'm a blue jays fan i kind of get sick of the yankees and red sox so when that series started i was probably like you know forget it here we go again with these guys uh by the time it got to game six and seven and the and the Red Sox were pulling off the comeback, you had to watch. You absolutely were. I mean, it was it was can't miss television. That could happen with Toronto Montreal. If it ends up just being more of the, the garden variety uh playoff series, I think you'll still see real good numbers. Uh, but I don't think you'll get to that that quite that same range. But the potential maybe uh could be there depending on how it plays out. Well, I think it's interesting too, and your column that uh, that dropped uh, this week talked about what teams are facing the most pressure. And you kind of use this formula where you added some things like what's the roster look like, what's the like the the market pressure on the team, um, the you know special circumstances. I thought it's interesting because you you got the Montreal Canadiens in the top five, and the way that you have the the rankings is I think you got Montreal five, Boston four, Vegas three. Colorado to Toronto one. And it's funny because I, I look at that and I say like, well, the Habs are the one team that just don't have Stanley cup aspirations out of that group. And yet you have them in the top five. Yeah. And, and I put, I wound up with Montreal, maybe a little higher than I thought. Uh, like you say, I looked at a few factors. One of them was expectations and I've got the, the Canadians ranked real low there. I, I think most people uh, expect them to lose this series I, I have not seen anyone make a case that they're going to they're actual contenders to win the Stanley Cup. But then you look at everything else, starting with the fact that it's just it's Montreal. Preseason games are high pressure in Montreal, let alone the playoffs, let alone the playoffs against the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's that's just going to magnify everything. But the other pieces that that I look at with this team is, uh, you know, that Carey Price is getting up there, Shea Weber's getting up there. This is not an old team in, in the sense that we usually mean that. And certainly they've got some good young players. They don't seem like they're going to be using most of them in the playoffs, but they, they at least to start with, but they've got some good young players. So this isn't a team where you say the window is slamming shut. Um, but th- this is a team where this version, this core of the team has, does not have that many kicks at the can left. You look at the division that they're in now versus where they're going to be next year. Assuming we go back to the, the standard format, this is the opportunity right here. If, if you're going to have one more deep playoff run with Carey Price, this is your chance right here. And, and then on top of that, you know, Dominic Ducharme probably coaching for his job. Uh, Mark Bergevin's job may be on the line here, too. I mean, if, if this is a situation, if this series plays out the way that a lot of people seem to think it might, which is that Toronto wins relatively easily four or five games and shows that they're clearly the better team, that's going to really leave an impact in Montreal. And, and you know, again... In some other markets, maybe you could ask for a little bit of patience and that sort of thing. That's not really how it works in Montreal. And so I, I do think that this is a situation where I, I bet if you hook Mark Bergevin up to a lie detector and said, would you rather be playing Edmonton or Winnipeg or somebody like that? I, I think he'd probably say he would because this is going to get so much attention that any little flaw, anything that goes wrong is going to be so magnified and so picked apart. Uh, and And that has the potential at least. Uh, for both of these teams to to really 
um, really put a spotlight on them that is is not going to benefit them uh, in terms of public perception. Well, you, you know, if Toronto doesn't win this series, it'll come back to they don't have enough grit, they don't have enough sandpaper, and they decided to part ways with Nazem Kadri. And Kadri back in the news cycle here, Sean, as Wednesday night he delivers a high, dangerous hit on Justin Falk, and here we go again. And I, this is exactly what the Toronto Maple Leafs felt like they probably couldn't trust Nazem Kadri, right? Two straight series against Boston where he got suspended. You're like, you can't do this anymore. You can't have a guy who's going to eat 18 minutes a night and a key part of your team just be gone for, for large stretches of, of uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs for reckless behavior. So he does it again, and you're like, this is, this is unbelievable. This is like, why can't, Sean, and you watch this guy play a long time in Toronto, and I like Nazem. But why can't he dial it down in the Stanley Cup playoffs and find that line? Yeah, th there are just certain guys that struggle with this. And uh, like, I'm with you. I, I like him too as a, as a player. Obviously, as a Leafs fan and seeing the the start of his career, uh, I I like him. And, and I think he's he's the sort of guy where when he's just going up to the line and not past it, th there's a lot of room for him on on a team and you could say the same thing about other guys that that you know the tom wilson's and, and that sort of thing um it, you know we always say well you'd take them on your team and yeah of course you would but it, it's it, it, this one this one's was was painful i mean obviously it, it, the first thing you're thinking of is you know when anytime he does something like this you hope the other guy's okay you hope it's not an injury situation and that sort of thing but it was tough because i remember when Kadri was traded and and that was the the explanation at the time was you know the suspensions you just you can't trust the guy you know he himself said like look i'm not going to do it a third time i mean come on i'm not going to the, the first time he did it in against boston with the leafs was dumb the second time he was responding to a hit that had been thrown on a teammate and it was still dumb because it was a completely over the top reaction but it was at least you could kind of get into the mindset of well you know what this is a team that gets pushed around and he wasn't going to let it happen and blah 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 with this one, this is just a dumb hit. You, you just, you you can't throw these hits. It's been 10 years now that we've had this rule in place. Um, and you can't do it. And you can't do it in a close playoff game. And you can't do it in a blowout. And you can't do it in the preseason. And it doesn't matter. And and it almost potentially could have could have cost the Avalanche the game last night because they they were up two goals and cruising. And then they, they give up uh, one power play goal on, on the five-minute major and uh, luckily for them, don't don't give up the tying goal. I mean, you you just you can't do it. It's dangerous. It's it's it, this is not how the game is played anymore. Should be played anymore. And the player ultimately has to be responsible. And and unfortunately, like as we're talking, or we're we're seeing the news kind of come across that he's been offered the dreaded in person hearing. Uh, so you know what that means. He's he's going to get hammered on this one. I I think this is this is it for him at least in the series. Um, and, and probably well beyond. And, and I, I don't like to see it because I like the player, but it's completely deserved and, and it's, it's, it's on him. Absolutely. And there's just, there's no excusing these sorts of hits. Yeah. It, it, it's funny. Like you bring up that, like, those are the hits that you saw like on Mark Savard or David Booth, right? Like th those hits from 10, 12 years ago. And you're like, yeah, we, we, it was like a throwback to that. So if Kadri, and you're, you're pretty good when it comes to like 
history and knowing like some suspension history. Like, so this would be the third time, Sean, that, that Nazem Kadri would be suspended in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I would imagine that's a short list of guys that have been suspended like three times and more and 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 up. It has to be. I I, I did a little bit of hunting around to see if I could find other people who fall into that category. I I, I don't I didn't see anyone. Uh, which doesn't necessarily mean that they're not out there, especially when you're talking about some of the, the smaller suspensions. Um, but this look, this is a league that doesn't like to suspend in the playoffs. This is a league that bends over backwards to to not have guys miss time, and uh, because because they, right or wrong, they view the playoffs as as more valuable in terms of the offender. I mean, the argument against that has always been that the, hey, the guy he hurt is missing playoff games too. Um, but, but they, they don't like to suspend in the playoffs. And the fact that it's been three times over the course of a career cannot be a long list three times in four years. Uh, I, I can't imagine there's, there's, uh, there's, there's many guys up there. I mean, uh, Tom Wilson, a few years ago had that playoffs where he was, he he was involved in multiple plays and then they let him off the hook a couple of times. Uh, you know, Rafi Torres obviously comes to mind and, uh, some other guys, I, I can't off the top of my head, certainly. And if anyone knows of any, shoot them our way. We can we can talk about them. But three times in four postseasons, uh, that's uh, that's something else. And and it's you know unfortunately, it's it's just a sign that this is a guy who is not getting it, um, or maybe he's getting it when he walks out of the hearing, or he's getting it when he, he shows up at the rink. But there, there's just something when he's on the ice. And again, we've seen it with other guys. It just that that filter isn't there. That that moment of that decision making we talked about, where when you see a guy open for a hit and you go, "Look, I can I can try to take him out of the play, or I can try to take him out of the game." And and Kadri's a guy that likes to try to take guys out of the game. And sometimes, if you can do it clean, in even in today's NHL, maybe there's still room for that. But it's got to be clean. And and that hit last night. I mean, as soon as you saw it, you knew that he. I, I don't know what he was going for. But he got him in the head, and and that's it's it's been ten years, so you can't do that. So it's uh, there's there's no excuse for it. The, the only one I can think of is Chris Pronger. I think got suspended twice in the same playoffs for Anaheim when they went to the Cup. I think he got suspended in the Western Final against Detroit, and then again in the Cup Final against Ottawa. So that's two times in one year for Pronger. Yep. Uh, yeah. And the Pro- second time, Dale he only Pronger's got one, a good one to go to. He, that's uh, he got one game. Which is it's still bananas to me that he got suspended in the Western Final and then again in the Cup Final and it was one game. But it was one game, and but you know what? One game, and I think the series was like one-one at the time. You you, you got to do a lot in this NHL to get suspended for uh, to be you know to be a superstar too. I mean, we're not talking Aaron Rome or someone like that. We're talking Chris Pronger to 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 get suspended like that, and uh, yeah. Um, it, the stars do tend to get a little more leeway. Nazem Kadri has played like a star a few times. Uh, he's he's not at that level where I think he's uh, he's going to get any leeway here. I, I think this is there's going to be a big message coming, and the message is, I mean, look, the Department of Player Safety. We all know they they will they will give you one chance and two chances and and more than that. But at some point, it it starts to just get embarrassing for them, and that's when they throw the book at you. And I don't think we're going to see a massive Rafi Torres type situation here. I, I, I think that would be uh, unnecessary, but it's going to be a big suspension. And if you're a, if you're a blues fan, you don't have to worry about seeing Nazem Kadri again anytime soon. 
you know, I, I think what I, I tried to pick your brain a little bit about uh, how many times have we seen uh, a player get suspended three times in the playoffs. Let me throw this one at you from a Washington Capitals perspective. How many times has a team started three different goalies in the first three games of a playoff series? Because that's exactly what the Capitals have done with Samsonov, Craig Anderson, and uh, Vanacek. And uh, they're down 2-1, but that's got to be I, – I, I, the go-to answer would be the, I'm sure the Philadelphia Flyers have done it at some point, right? You know what? This is, this is interesting because I, I tweeted a couple nights ago uh, with, with Florida because in Florida they, they had uh, Sergey Bobrovsky start game one. Uh, they yank him out. They go to Chris Derringer for game two. It's, everyone's waiting. You know, Spencer Knight's right. waiting in the wings. Is he going to be in there? And, and I, I pointed out only because somebody had asked me the question a few days earlier and it had been something I'd looked up. The last team to start three different goalies in the same playoff series and win the series was the Philadelphia Flyers. <laughs> and it's interesting for a couple of reasons. It was, it was 2011, and it's, it's a famous series. They beat the Sabres in, in seven games. They started with Bobrovsky. They went to Brian Boucher. Michael Layton came in, and then they went back to Boucher for game seven. Uh, and, and that did a couple of things. First of all, that's the series where Vili Leno scored the overtime goal against the Sabres. And then the Sabres go off in the offseason and they give him the big free agent contract. But even worse, that was the series that convinced the Flyers that we need one guy to be our goalie. And so they go out and they do the Ilya Brizgalov trade signing. They trade away Richards and Carter and all of that stuff. So one series, two disastrous results for, for the teams involved. But what's interesting is, first of all, you're going back 10 years and it, we were talking about it in terms of, of the Panthers maybe doing it. And who's the goalie for the Flyers that loses the job in game one? Sergei Bobrovsky, same guy as, as in Florida. Well, who was the coach of that 2011 Philadelphia Flyers? Peter Laviolette, who's now the coach of the Capitals. So maybe he's sitting there going, you know, it's I can I did it once, I can do it again. I know this only because they mentioned it on the broadcast last night. The last team to do it in the first three games, because that 2011 Flyers team, they, they spread it out a little. I think Bobrovsky started the first two, and, and Leighton didn't get in until game five. Uh, the, the first and maybe only other team to start a different goalie in each of the first three games was one of those mid-80s Winnipeg Jets teams. And it was one of those years they're facing the Oilers, and it was probably like, all right, you get out there. Okay, we lost 10-1. to 1. Well, how about this guy? All right, that was 11-1. to 1. Let's try again. Um, and uh, they, they were... The, the last time to go three different starters in in the first three games. That's almost unheard of, especially for a team like Washington that has Stanley Cup aspirations. It's it's not like they're floundering around with a, a rotten lineup. They just, uh, the combination of circumstances and and uh, being up against a real good opponent. I, I'm thinking that that 80s Jets, uh, Daniel Berthume and, and Pokey Redick, had to have been part of that, no? Absolutely, yeah. Bandit? This this feels like a very Daniel Berthum type of uh, type of statistic. Yeah, I also have this vague memory in the early '90s of the Chicago Blackhawks having like like Hoshik and Belfour and like maybe Greg Millen was part of the mix and like like they they also had some kind of rotation of goalies, didn't they? At one point. Yeah, they in, in they Chicago? they absolutely might have. I I, I don't think Jimmy they, I mean, Wade it was, even. It was like, yeah. I mean, it was it was Belfour's net, but that was uh, back in those days where uh, yeah, certainly they they did not uh, didn't know what they had in Dominic Hasek for sure, and uh, um, that was even even our old pal that we talked about a few week, weeks ago, Roy LeBlanc. I think was uh, involved yeah. in that uh, uh, somehow, and uh, yeah, it was. Uh, 
it's 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 funny that you you do get this with some teams where you just see guys kind of come in and out and obviously if there's an injury or, or something like that then then you do what you have to do but it's uh the the list of teams that have even used three goalies in a playoff series is is not a very long one um but I'll, I'll i'll tell you this if you're the other piece if you're looking for good news um if you're a washington fan you're looking for some hope is you actually don't have to go back that far to find a stanley cup winner that used three starters not in the same series, but in the same postseason, uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, in 2016. Oh, everybody remembers that that was the year that it was kind of the passing of the torch from Flurry to Matt Murray, and Flurry was hurt at first, and then Matt Murray kind of got the job and ran with it. But people forget. Do you remember who started? Uh, is the it playoffs? Zakoff? Ja- uh, Jeff Zatkoff. Jeff Zatkoff was the That's guy. It. Yeah, and I mean, you look at that. I mean, that, that was you know, Mike Sullivan. That this. Great job, this G. But he looked at that team and was like, you know what, Matt Murray, you know what, Jeff Zatkoff's my guy. And they went in, and I don't think the first two games went very well, and they, they gave Matt Murray a try, and then the rest was history as far as uh, the Penguins are concerned. But, uh, yeah, Jeff, Jeff Zatkoff was the guy who started the playoffs as the, the Penguins' uh, number one goalie. So, you know, as, as we talk about the Capitals here, a, a just an egregious giveaway – by Samsonov in double overtime. And I don't know if that's one of those things because you're into a double overtime. It's a classic mental mistake, but just a miscommunication with him and Schultz. And then Craig Smith comes in, wraps it in for the uh, double overtime winner. And the television cameras catch Alexander Ovechkin, Sean, absolutely chewing out Samsonov as Samsonov leaves the ice. And it looks like Ovechkin saying something and he's heated. And now I see people saying, I can't believe Ovi showed up as goalie. Or what was he yelling? And I think it's interesting, right? Because if this was back in the day and it was like Mark Messier with the captain uh, wearing the C, people would be like, that's what a leader does. He holds people accountable. Ovechkin does it. You're like, well, I don't know. Uh, this guy is, is showing yep. up as his goalie. I don't mind it. I, I think that shows you Alex Ovechkin has every right to be irate there. That was just, that was just such a poor... I, I, again, I don't know who to blame on that one. If it's if it's Schultz the defenseman, if it's Samsonov, but that's just terrible. And if you're the captain of the team, you have every right to light up your teammates there. I, I think you've got you've got every right, obviously, to be furious at how that played out and, and to rip into your teammates. I didn't love him doing it on the bench. I mean, the game's over. You're you're literally ten steps away from being in the dressing room. Hold it together for a few more seconds, and then. Yeah, absolutely. We've, uh, you know, we all know that uh, you finish a game, you go, you close that that door to the room, and then pretty much anything goes as far as what gets said. And and I think that would be completely appropriate. I didn't love the fact that he's doing it on the bench. He knows the cameras are on him. He knows that that this is going to become a story. But in the moment, the guy cares, right? And uh, you know, you're right. If it's messy, if Jonathan Taves does that. Uh, it's it's great leadership, and uh, you know if if other guys do it, then it it shows that they're out of control or whatever else. We sort of fix the narrative to who the player is. Um, so I I didn't love it, and if I'm a teammate, I I certainly don't necessarily appreciate that. I mean, I know I screwed up. I feel bad enough. I don't need you ripping into me as I'm skating off the ice. Um, but again, it it certainly shows. You know, with with Ovechkin, there was some talk. Uh, you know, last year in the play when they did the Capitals didn't look super great in the postseason thinking, well, maybe this guy's already got his cup. Maybe he's got, maybe one's enough. He looks dialed in in this series. And, and, you know, from the big hit that he threw early in game one and and this, 
this guy cares. He's uh, he's we're we're getting beast mode Alexander Ovechkin. I didn't I didn't love the stuff on the bench, but if that's the price of admission to get a dialed in focused Ovechkin, then I, I think if you're a Caps fan, you take that every day. Yeah, see, I I, I think I like it, and I, and I think it's because we do such a job of like like sort of muting hockey players, right? And 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 we don't see the true emotion and and we get these cliche answers. It's like, well, there's a window into what he actually thinks, right? Rather than 25 minutes later, Ovechkin's going to get on a Zoom call and he's just going to say, hey, we win as a team, lose as a team. Well, no, there's the window. He's like, he's frustrated. And I kind of yeah. like that from that perspective. Yeah, I mean, and and it, look, it's, it's not like we learned anything that we didn't know, right? It's not like anyone's like, oh, hey, the Alexander Ovechkin seemed unhappy that they they blew a double overtime. Uh, no, uh, you're right. It, it, it didn't, it doesn't tell us anything we don't know. Um, again, I hold it in for five more seconds, get to the room and then scream as much as you want. Uh, but uh, I, it's it's hard to blame them. Uh, a, a quick thought here. Look, Washington's down two games to one. That series has been great. You know, overtime games, one goal games. Uh, Florida Panthers treated and the Tampa Bay Lightning treated everybody to a spectacular opening game. But then uh, Tampa Bay exerted their kind of their dominance in game two, which has a lot of people wondering, Sean, are the Florida Panthers done? At 0-2, uh, can they come back and beat the defending Stanley Cup champions four times in five games? It's, it's, it's a real tough ask. That's, that's a big hill to climb. I'm not going to say they can't do it again. This is the modern NHL. It's a lot of these games come down to coin flips and, uh, you know, you, 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 the coin might land the right way four times out of five, but it's, it's real tough. I mean, that, that first game, first of all, the, uh, that first game was phenomenal. That was just absolutely, I, I was, like a lot of people, I was rooting for this series to happen. I think wouldn't it be great if the two Florida teams finally played? And, and that game just blew away any expectations that you that you could have had. And and like uh, uh, you know, like our our pal Sean Gentile wrote the piece where it was the first time fans watching that. It, we've talked a lot on this show and elsewhere about how the NHL product. A lot of times, if if it's your first time sitting down to watch it and you see some two one game, you might never be back because it's just it's not the entertainment value isn't high. That was the sort of game, man. I hope there were some first-time hockey fans watching that because they're hooked now. That that is the best that that they can offer. It was great. Game two, I mean, I guess we should have seen it coming, right? When two teams play an excellent end-to-end entertaining game, the focus always seems to shift to how do we shut this down and get this uh, uh, get this uh, into something that looks a little more different, low event, low scoring. Uh, the thing with Florida is I'm looking at this and I'm going, man, we we took our best swings with these guys. And the one thing that I my question going into this, as far as the lightning and my concern was the health of the guys, and especially Nikita Kucherov. We all knew he was coming back. We, we all knew from the very beginning of the season he was going to miraculously be OK for game one of the playoffs. But I really felt like, you know, hold on a second. We're all assuming he's just going to show up and he's going to be 100% powered up Nikita Kucherov. And there's no reason to think that. We've seen guys come back from injuries. I mean, look at Vladimir Tarasenko. He comes back, doesn't look anywhere near the same sort of player. That that happens a lot to guys. It might take a while to get going. And against a team as good as Florida, who knows? Uh, put that out of your mind. Nikita Kucherov shows up game one. He is absolute full power. There is, he doesn't look like he missed a beat. That scares me if I'm Florida and, and, and I'm just sitting there going, you know, the, the Panthers played two good games. They took two real good swings. They've already played the goalie card. 
uh, and Tampa's standing there and they don't, uh, they, they haven't taken a step back yet. And, and that does worry me. And I just, not, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Still a long way to go in this series, potentially. Uh, Florida Panthers could still pull this off, but there, there is a part of me that's just looking at that Panthers franchise going, man, you've been waiting almost 30 years to get this, this shot. Haven't won a playoff series in 25 years. This is the best team that you probably had maybe in franchise history. Boy, if they go into this and they just get swept aside by the lightning, like the little, like the scrawny little brother, uh, that's, that's going to sting. That's going to really leave a mark on, on the team going forward because this is, uh, nobody's, nobody says you have to beat the Tampa Bay lightning. They're the defending champs are an amazing team, but you, you got to get them in a fight and you got to let them know that they were in a, in a fight as far as just. In, in a tough series where they felt like they had their backs to the ropes a few times. And so far, um, Panthers have played well, but uh, they, they got to get some wins. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Sean. Well, listen, we're going to go from talking about uh, Lightning and, and Panthers. We're going to kind of look at uh, things uh, from a favorite and underdog perspective league-wide as we bring in Jesse Granger for a little... Granger Things, as always, this uh, segment is sponsored by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner with us here at The Athletic. Uh, welcome back to the show. As always, Jesse, love having you. And uh, I, look, I got to ask you first, what has been the atmosphere inside T-Mobile Arena? Because for those, like Sean and I, are, we're in Canada and we can't even fathom. They're, they're talking about maybe 2,500 Habs fans might get to go to a game. So we're, I think a lot of us on this side of the border are looking down at these games and it's like, this feels like another planet. You're there. I mean, what's the atmosphere like? Because it looks absolutely electric for a, a Vegas uh, Golden Knights playoff game. Yeah, it's been pretty awesome. Um, I, I I can't wait for you guys to, to get some fans in the buildings, especially you mentioned Montreal. That Toronto-Montreal series deserves fans. Um, I think we've been waiting forever to get that. And, and those games are significantly better with fans in the building. It's funny because... In normal Golden Knights standards, an 8,000 8, people in the arena is an empty building. It's half full. Um, you'd think it wouldn't be great. Like You'd think it would seem like, eh, this building's half full. But after a year of watching empty arenas, it's amazing what 8,000 people in the building does. Um, I've seen over in Carolina, they've got 12,000, I think. Nashville's going to get around the same. Um, it feels full. It definitely does. It's not the 18,000 shoulder to shoulder that they're used to. Um, prior to the global pandemic, but it is definitely a, a very nice sign. And it, it feels more like playoff hockey because 
Um, it's without the fans in the building. It's just not the same. I think we kind of took fans for granted for so long because we were just so used to them being there and being loud all the time. Um, this last year has really showed us how much the fans really do add to to the important feel of the game. Well, and, and I, I think we want to know too, like, okay, there's there's certainly a little bit of atmosphere in the games. Are we starting to see early in the Stanley Cup playoffs here, Jesse, any trends as it pertains to home and road? Is there a home ice advantage with having you know, five, 10, 12,000 people cheering you on, or is it, uh, are we seeing the opposite effect here? Yeah, it's funny. So last year was the home team, well, home team. And I put that in air quotes because obviously in the bubbles in Edmonton and Toronto, there were no actual home teams, but the team with the last change, um, actually had a losing record last year. And it's, it's not the first time ever, actually three years ago, the home teams had a losing record and that was when everyone was traveling and playing in full buildings under normal circumstances. So it's not super rare for, for the road teams to win a lot of games in the Stanley Cup playoffs. But this year, um, early on, the home team has had an advantage. They're eight and six so far. So it's not a super big advantage. If you lose one more, you're seven and seven split. So it hasn't been that big of an advantage for the home ice. And actually, when the Golden Knights got approved to... Um, allow more people into the building. I kind of went back and looked and, and saw if, if the fans in the building make a statistical difference. And to this point, they don't, um, which is kind of surprising. But if you ask any player, they will tell you um, it absolutely matters. And, and the momentum swings are a lot bigger when they're fans in the home building. What has happened this year, though, is the favorites are playing unbelievably well. Um, and it's funny because I remember looking back at the beginning of the playoffs and I remember thinking after the first few games, like, man, this, this playoffs is going to be wild because three of the first four games, the underdog won. Washington beat Boston in the opening game. New York Islanders shocked the Penguins. And then Minnesota was the biggest underdog and they beat Vegas here in, here in Vegas for, for that huge win in game one. But since those first three games, three of the first four, the underdogs won, the favorites have gone nine and one. And the only one that the underdogs have won since then was Winnipeg over Edmonton last night. So in between there, you had nine straight favorites win and the favorites have won 71% of the game so far, which is an astounding number because last year favorites only won 54% of the total playoff games, just barely over half. Um, if you're betting the favorite every time, whereas this year, 71%, a 10 and four record for the favorites is, is really impressive. If you were just blindly betting the favorite in every game right now, you'd be making a lot of money. But see, what I really like about that is you've, you've, uh, planted a seed of doubt in Sean's mind because in the North division, the favorite has yet to win a game. That's the way <laughs> That's I'm right. looking. They are 0-1. That's right. We're, and we're like a week into the playoffs and it's still the favorites are over in the North. What's going on? Yeah, it's it's and, and tonight and like tonight, Toronto's a big favorite, one of the bigger favorites at minus 200. There haven't been many minus 200 favorites. The lines have been very close in these playoffs. Yeah. And, you know, and maybe let's let's talk a bit about that. Um, some of these. um you know, uh, some of the puck line bets, for example, probably aren't hitting because of some of the, uh, you know, the tightly contested nature of some of these games, right? Exactly right. Yeah. So for, for anyone listening that doesn't know that that's not a big hockey gambler, puck line is taking a team to win by two goals. You're taking a minus a goal and a half, meaning you're taking the favorite and you can only take the favorite on the puck line. Um, you could, I mean, some places will offer a reverse puck line, but uh, for the most part, you're taking the favorite minus a goal and a half and it changes the odds drastically. Just for example, Toronto, I mentioned minus 200 tonight. You've got to bet 200. You've got to bet double to win hundred dollars. You might not want to do that, but if you bet Toronto minus a goal and a half saying Toronto will win by two, 
that minus 200 turns into a plus 140. So a $100 bet actually wins you $140. Pretty significant difference. With the way the favorites are winning, you would think puck line's the way to go because you can get good odds on them and they're winning every night. There's chances of them getting an empty netter. You can win by two. But actually, these games, I mean, obviously, when they go to overtime, you've lost your puck line bet um, because it's going to be a one goal game. And with that Boston Washington series, every game's going to overtime. We've seen a lot of overtime games. Uh, puck line has not been the way to go. If you were to bet the favorite puck line every time this year, this uh, playoffs, you would have gone six and eight for 42%. And just to show how bad that is, I just mentioned last year, the puck line only, I mean, the favorites only covered 54% of the time, but when they won 57% was, was a win for the puck line this year that dropped to 42%. So um, while the favorites are winning, they are not winning by much. Almost all of these games have been decided by one goal. And, and in the few that have been, uh, a two goal game. It's it's been the heavy heavy favorites. Colorado has has had their way with St. Louis and they're and they're minus like in the three hundreds. Um, so it it has not been an easy road if you're trying to to get those those better odds and win the puck line bets. I think I, I saw a stat at some point. I think we were four or five games into the playoffs before any team had a two goal lead at any time, let alone at the at the final buzzer. It was it, it's been one goal hockey the whole way. And you know what? I'm good with that. Any People can bet however they want, but if you're making a bet that makes you root against playoff overtime, <laughs> right. then I, I got to question that. That's that's rough. It has been awesome. It's It's been great. Uh, you know, I, I got a question here for both of you guys to kind of to kind of wrap this up. And uh, Connor McDavid got shut out in the opener against Winnipeg. What's your confidence level? Like if you guys were putting down money, like, and I'm just going to say, let's set it at one and a half points. Connor McDavid game two, one and a half points. What are you guys doing? I'm you taking, guys taking the, the over. I'm on taking that? the over one and a half, especially after zero. Like I would have taken over one and a half, just period. Coming off of a game with zero points, I I feel a lot more confident in that. What about you, Sean? Yeah, I, I I'd go the over there because the thing is, like, full credit to the Jets, but it's not like you were watching that game going, oh, the Jets have figured this out. The Jets have come up with some new system that he's really struggling with. It just was one of those nights. Um, and yeah, I think that uh, you know we've already get you had. You had Pierre Maguire on NBC saying that Nathan McKinnon's the best player in the league. Like Connor McDavid seems like the sort of guy who will find out about that and maybe have a little something to say about it. Yeah. And you know that Sidney Crosby's also seeing that clip and he's like, oh, just yes. irate, right? There's a mm -hmm. couple of guys that that seems to fire up. Hey, listen, Jesse, this is great. Uh, appreciate our Granger things visit as always, because I think it's certainly in the Stanley Cup playoffs, uh, people are trying to jump on some trends early on. And so uh, great to get your insight on that. Uh, enjoy the uh, the remainder of that wild. I know that's been a bit of a house of horrors uh, for the, uh, the, the Vegas Golden Knights in Minnesota. So that should be uh, pretty interesting uh, to watch the rest of that series play out. So looking forward to your coverage there and uh, we'll hit you up again next week. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Jesse. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. 
tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. All right, time for us to uh, kind of open up the mailbag a little bit, answer some of our listener questions. A reminder, drop us an email. You can hit us up. It is theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com. Theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com. Or we love to hear your voice. Trust me, we love to hear your voice. And you can actually leave us a voicemail. That number, it's 845-445-8459. All right, actually, we're going to take some Twitter questions today because this, uh, this is pretty fun. We got some questions on social media thrown our way. Uh, Sean... Some some lis- uh, listeners are noticing that when watching the Stanley Cup Finals, and there's been a bunch of playoff games here in the first week, that midway through the overtime session, there is a commercial break. And uh, this uh, note comes in from uh, one of our listeners and uh, followers on social media. It says, hey, I thought in previous years there were no TV timeouts in overtime. What's going on in our overtime TV timeouts? A new thing. So that that I think that's a legitimate question. Yep. I have no recollection. I don't think that there was any TV timeouts in at least like three four years ago. I don't think there was TV timeouts in overtime, right? No, that 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 was always the thing was that there there was no no commercials in overtime, uh, and I I don't know exactly when it started. I but I did notice it this week. I, you know, it was one of the uh, one of the early overtime games, and you sit there, and all of a sudden a commercial comes on. And you and I talked about it. I think what's happening is they're doing that that kind of uh, quick dry scrape during the uh, around the ten minute mark, um, just to try to keep the keep the ice quality as good as they can deep into a, a long game. Uh, and I, I guess they figured that they can squeeze a, a an ad break in there. Um, okay, it, it's it's fine. It's a game changer though because I, we've all had that experience. Um, where you're you're sitting down to watch that overtime game, and you you know maybe you're you're cracking open the second or third beer, and suddenly you get halfway through, and you go, "Well, there's no commercial breaks uh, for me to zip off zip off to the to the bathroom. This is I've made a horrible strategic error here. Now you've got that ten minute mark to look forward to. So adjust your uh, your overtime habits accordingly. Yeah, and so what I can't figure it's I, I think the rule is it's the first whistle after the halfway point. Of the period, so after you hit ten minutes, first whistle, TV timeout. But I'm with you. I I don't think that that was happening two or three years ago, uh, no. in the in the Stanley it's, Cup playoffs. Uh, it, because it, yeah, re- like regular season, you're so used to it, right? It's at the you know we we all know this you know six mm-hmm. minute mark and the ten minute mark, all that. I, I'm thrown off, and you know all this does for me. It's one opportunity to potentially miss a play, either the. Either the broadcast doesn't come back in time, or mm-hmm. worse, you as the viewer are like, ah, "I got to make a quick trip to the bathroom. I'm going to yeah, grab a drink, go check another game." That's you got to be careful. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. Check, but I'll tell you, the, the one nice thing about it though is, you know, the other you talk about during the regular season, the scheduling, and one one thing that I think most fans know or have figured out is you can't have a commercial if it's in the middle of a power play or if a penalty has just been called. They won't put the commercial in there. Uh, and you don't have to worry about that in playoff overtime because there has never been a penalty called in playoff <laughs> overtime. So it's it's uh, it's one less thing for them to have to worry about. Oh, I love it. Okay, this one comes in from Luke who says, and then we kind of talk, talked about this with Jesse Granger a little bit in Granger Things. Luke wants to know, how do you guys view the TV experience with no fans in the stands? Because 
watching the beginning of Edmonton Winnipeg, it feels like something is missing after watching the games based in the United States. I couldn't agree more with Luke. It's, it was it was stark. And I know that they they try to do the whole thing in Winnipeg with the anthem where they pipe in the, uh, you know, everyone chants true north during the anthem. It's missing. And, and, and you can feel, I, I think if this Montreal-Toronto series gets to a game six, and in that game six, 2,500 Montreal fans are allowed in the building, it's going to be bizarre. It's going to be uh, yep. it's going to be a huge, uh, you know, difference maker. Or at least it's going to be a, a, a change in the environment. It's it's mind blowing to me watching these games in Florida and Vegas. It honestly feels like we're in another country. I'm mean, yeah. not a country, like another league. We're watching another sport in another league. Yeah, it, it is. I, I remember even going into the bubble last year where they were going to play without fans, and and I wrote and I said, you know, I we don't know how this is going to feel as viewers. This might really throw us off. And I don't know about you, but when I sat down to watch the games, it wasn't that bad. I, I got used to the tarps pretty quick. You, you know, the, the fake crowd noise was okay. Um, the, the only times that it really stood out to me uh, was a couple of times that last year and this year too, where guys got hurt uh, and they would just shut all the noise down. And that's, I remember when Jake Muzzin got hurt against Columbus it was just so dead silent that it it really it it really drove home that this was an empty building. And then the other game this season, and, and you know, again, most of this season we haven't seen fans in any of the buildings. The game that it really jumped out to me was that Capitals um, Rangers game with all the fights, where there was you know there, there were I think a few fans in the building, but I'm just sitting there going like, man, this the roof should be coming off this place, and it just seems very strange that this is all happening without much noise. But it never really bothered me you know day to day never really stood out but now we're definitely seeing it because you've got these crowds coming down in the u.s and they're they're great crowds and they're playoff crowds and yeah you you can't watch what's happening in carolina and then flip over to edmonton winnipeg or toronto montreal it's really going to stand out uh it's it's really going to feel noticeable and uh you know again we'll we'll adjust and uh, yeah i I don't think it's going to make the games unwatchable or anything like that but it really is going to be a big difference. And I'm still very interested to see what happens when whoever emerges from this Canadian division goes down to the States. And, you know, if it's, uh, you know, we, we think that we're going to have uh, fans in Montreal for, for game six, if the series gets there, but you could absolutely have a team win the North division that has not played a game in front of a single fan all year. And then they go down and they play game one in Vegas with a nearly full building, knowing how loud that, I mean, you talk about home ice advantage. That's just going to be completely off the charts. Uh, so it's yeah, that's that's a long way down the road. And and fingers crossed, maybe we'll get some fans in buildings in in Canada before that. But um, it's uh, it 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 is. It, it, it I made it until this week without feeling like it was really really noticeable. But yeah, that Edmonton game last night. It it after watching everything down in the states, it was very noticeable. Yeah, exactly. And so I I don't know what. You know what's going to uh, happen in 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 the in the weeks ahead, but you're right. Like, just it's such a stark, stark difference. All right, uh, over to this week in hockey history. Okay, this week in hockey history, and there's a couple of interesting things. We're gonna, we're gonna go take our listeners back to May uh, May 21st of 1970. Okay, at May 21st 1970, it's the off season, and the Montreal Canadiens engineer a trade with the California Golden Seals, which allows them down the road to select Guy Lafleur. And I, 
I got to tell you, I, if I had a time machine, I'd be going back and warning every general manager, don't deal with the Habs. Like they're j- you're about to get fleeced. And I just, can you explain to our listeners how the California Golden Seals, Sean, would have essentially given up Guy Lafleur to the Montreal Canadiens? It, it, the Montreal Canadiens were very smart. This is Sam Pollock. This is why... Sam Pollock is the name that comes up first when, when people, even these days, talk about the greatest GMs ever. And this was a thing that he and the Montreal Canadiens did over and over again, especially to the new expansion teams. They would go to them and they'd say, we'll give you a couple of good players, not stars, but we'll give you a couple of good players now. And you give us your first round pick or even the option to flip first round picks Years down the road, like there were some of these, they were making trades four years down the road. And, uh, you know, I think the thinking with these expansion teams was, hey, we got to get some good players right now. The future is the future. We're not too worried about it. I'm the GM. I might not even be the GM by then. So who cares? Uh, and they did it over and over again. And Guillaume Fleur is the big one. But there are other cases where you go down that that 70s dynasty. Uh, they got built uh, largely through making these sorts of deals where they were getting banking picks years down the line. And in a lot of cases, knowing who the players might be available, even if it was a few years down the line, they would sit there and go, yeah, this is, this is going to be the Gila Fleur draft. This is going to be, you know, whoever else, uh, up to and including the getting a first round pick in the 1980 draft that famously ends up being the, the first overall pick. And they use it on Doug Wickenheiser instead of Danny Savard, who was the local kid that they were expected to take. And that ends up being a, a big, uh, a big bust. But the thing that people forget about 1980 is when, when the Canadians made that trade four years, or I think it was in 76, they acquired that pick. We didn't know how the draft was going to work out. There was a chance that that might be the Wayne Gretzky draft. And there's a lot of people who think that that's what the Canadians were thinking ahead of let's, let's bank this. And it's just interesting to me because you never see it these days. You, you, these days, the only time you'll see a first-round pick more than a year in advance is if it's like a protected pick and, and the team says, oh, we don't want to give it up, and so it kicks ahead a year. But you don't see teams going out there saying, yeah, we'll trade you this guy. You don't want to give up your first-round pick this year? Give us your first-round pick four years from now. And you, you look at if If I was trying to trade for picks this year, I don't know if I want a first-round pick this year. I want I want. Give me a, a lottery ticket for the Connor Bedard draft or something like that. You know, give me a shot at, at somebody like that. Um, it's a good strategy as long as you as a GM feel confident that you're going to still be around to make that pick. I, I think this should come back, but it probably doesn't because it worked so well for the Canadians that any GM who tried to move a pick well into the future would probably immediately start hearing about Guy Lafleur and, and probably lose their nerve. I, I wonder too... If Guy Lafleur ends up with the California Golden Seals, does that franchise survive? Does Guy Lafleur just become a draft bust? Like, what? What? How do you think that plays out? Yeah. Guy Lafleur in Oakland. It's you know what? It's a it's a real good question. Uh, I I don't think Guy Lafleur ends up being Guy Lafleur, but maybe he does. It, you know, remember this is Disco Guy. This is the guy who put his own disco album out a few years later. It, maybe that maybe the California vibe would have been. Uh, would have been a good one for him, but uh, geez, that uh, that draft is, is is such a memorable one because it, you know, and Montreal was so smart because they knew it wasn't just Guy Lafleur draft. There were two guys, number two pick that year, Marcel Dion. Imagine him in Montreal. I mean that that would have been uh, um, another 
the building block for your dynasty. So they knew what they were doing. Um, that, that if I had a time machine, man, I I would go back to the early seventies and I would tell every NHL GM, if you see, yeah. if you see that Montreal area code, if you, if you pick up the phone and it's Sam Pollock, hang up because you are going to get fleeced. Sam Pollock is the sort of guy, if he was in your fantasy football league, you would kick him out because he kept making lopsided trades that ruined the league for everyone else. He was light years ahead of everybody else as, as far as doing that job. Actually, so now I'm thinking about, imagine there could have been a great California rivalry between Marcel Dion and Guy Lafleur in, mm-hmm. in the state of California. There it is. That, that yeah. could have been it. And uh, instead, tragically, Montreal Canadiens' success. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also still never understand why the Detroit Red Wings traded Marcel Dion. Like, I know that there was some contractual stuff. That guy was yeah. like in his early 20s and putting up huge numbers. And they're like, nah. He, he, he does. It's just not going to work for us. It, there was, yeah, it was contractual, and there was like even a free agency component to it back in the day, where we didn't really have free agency, but players could sort of say, "I want to go here," and and force you into it. And I don't think it was fully their choice, but yeah, it, that's certainly one where you look back and uh, I, I don't know, a Detroit franchise that has a history with guys like Gordy Howe, Steve Eiserman, Nicholas Lidstrom keeping their stars forever. Uh, they they missed on that one. Yeah, Mike Badano, Daniel Alfredson, some of the yeah, great those guys Detroit Red Wings. Solving. Okay. Sure, yeah. yeah. One other this uh, week in hockey history, May 19th, 1994. It's one of the great uh, calls of all time. Mateau, Mateau, and uh, this, the New York Rangers knock off the New Jersey Devils in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Final to advance to the Stanley Cup, which they would ultimately win in seven games against Vancouver. I asked this question. So removing the Stanley Cup Final, from the equation and 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 just looking at anything that would have happened in the playoffs but not in the final, where does Stefan Matos' goal rank on like a power ranking of the biggest goals not in the cup final? Yeah, it's it's way up there. Uh and and it might be number one, at least in the in the modern era. If you if you're taking out if you're NHL only and we're taking out like milestone goals and stuff like that, because that's a different category. Uh it might be right up there. I I've I mean, I, I've had some fun with it in the past and, and, and joked about it, but the, that, that 94 Rangers team, it feels like that's the only team from history that anyone at the NHL headquarters knows exists and anyone in the NHL marketing department because that, uh, that, that period of time, you, went, you had Mark Messier's guarantee and the hat in game six, the Stefan Matteau goal, and then, of course, they go and they, they finally end the drought by winning the Stanley Cup against the Canucks. Um, that... He, Years later, this league still loves to bring that up and, and haul those guys out. And it doesn't happen if it's if it's not for the uh uh the stuff on Matogol. It, it it would rank high up there. It's definitely very high also on my list of the worst great goals of all time, because it's a terrible goal. It is such an ugly It's like um, a wraparound, right? It's Maybe. a but it's not even a wraparound. It's it's a wraparound and he throws it out front. And I think it's Scott Niedermeyer basically knocks it into his own net. It's it's not even a uh uh, you know, like he, like Mateau tucks it in. He just, he just lucks into it. Uh, but it's, uh, it would be right up there. I, I, I'll give you a couple. Let me give you one other nomination for, for the greatest uh, uh, non-final goal ever. Cause I, I do think we're probably looking at game seven overtime goals. I, I'm not sure that you can, you can find any goal that that's going to be bigger than that. And this one is a, a personal favorite. And unlike Stefan Mateau, this isn't an ugly goal. This is one of the most beautiful goals that you'll ever see. Uh, and that is 1996, Steve Eiserman double yeah. overtime against the St. Louis Blues. 
that famous slap shot where there's the shot from right behind the net and you just see the puck going in and beating John Casey. Uh, great goal, an amazing goal, but that you look at the history around it. First of all, that was that was the Detroit team that, that they had had one of the best regular seasons in history. They're playing round two. They're playing a Blues team that is not very good. If they lose to the Blues, that Detroit team probably gets blown up. And maybe Steve Eiserman gets traded to Ottawa. Maybe all this other stuff that was rumored to be happening actually happens. Maybe Wayne Gretzky stays in St. Louis if he if they go on a deep run. But the big one for me is by scoring that goal, winning that series, Detroit moves on to the conference final where they face a team that they have no history whatsoever against, the Colorado Avalanche. And of course, that's the series where Claude Lemieux hits Chris Draper from behind, and that launches the greatest rivalry in modern hockey history. And if if Wayne Gretzky doesn't cough up the puck in overtime to Steve Eiserman. We maybe never get any of that. And geez, I mean, the, the whole modern history of the NHL changes based on that one goal. Yeah, that's that's a great call. And it was only, like you said, it was only round two, but it certainly uh, gave birth to a great dynasty. You know, the one guy who I don't think it's any uh, or enough credit for scoring what should be an iconic game seven overtime goal, it's Alec Martinez. Like, yes. Wh- why don't we talk about Alec Martinez? G- guy scores a game seven overtime goal to end what some people say was the most entertaining playoff series of all time, that Western final mm-hmm. Chicago LA. And then the guy rolls in and scores the the cup winning goal too. And yep. yet he, he just doesn't, like you said, maybe he should have played for the 94 Rangers, but like Alec Martinez uh, just doesn't get enough love. Yeah, you think he would be the captain clutch, but uh, it just doesn't uh, doesn't seem to happen. That's that's up there. I'll give you one more that, that came to mind. And this this team didn't end up winning the Stanley Cup, but I I just I I almost wish this goal didn't happen because I would have loved to have seen the fallout. But Alex Burroughs in 2011 for the Canucks Ooh. against the Blackhawks, after they had had two years in a Chicago beats Vancouver two years in a row. Vancouver's got the President's Trophy. This is their Cup team. They meet up with the Hawks in round one again. And they roll them. They beat them the first three games. They're up 3 nothing. It's going to be a sweep. Then Chicago wins game four. And then they win game five. And you're thinking, oh, no. And then they win game six. And you're thinking, if Vancouver collapses and blows a 3 nothing lead, that's it. You have to blow up the whole team. You have to dismantle the team. There's no way. And it goes to overtime. And, and, and in fact, I think it didn't, uh, doesn't Chicago tie it with like yeah. seconds left in regulation? Well, I, think, I think Chicago, if memory serves me, I think Jonathan Taves scores a shorthanded goal. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Like late, like with like two minutes left or something. I mean, it's, you talk about the most painful, that, that would be the most, I I believe most painful playoff loss in history. If Vancouver had lost that game in overtime and instead, uh, Burroughs gets the turnover and just steps in and wires it. And I mean, you, every overtime goal is a combination of joy and relief but that one if you've you've never seen relief on the faces of fans and players and everything like like that one that one just stuck with me and and certainly if vancouver had gone on and won the cup that year which they they should have we probably have that ranked at the very top of this list yeah no that's uh, that's a great point the the dragon slayer goal as they call it out uh, in vancouver all right Sean, this was a ton of fun as always um, we want to remind people that, uh, did you have, I, I didn't get a chance. I'll be honest here. Full disclosure. I didn't get a chance to download and listen to Custance and Gentilly. They had Ryan Miller on, on Tuesday, but they said they leaned in hard, Sean, into the whole American thing. And 
you know, they, they did. They, they definitely leaned in and uh, wanted to give our listeners an American feel to the, the, the Tuesday edition of the show. I, I did. I, I went to check it, but there was like a skill testing question. It said, spell the word color. And as soon as I hit the letter U, it just, it just <laughs> took me right out, of, right off the screen. So I yeah. don't know. We, we can't download the episode, but uh, hey, listen, this was uh, this was a ton of fun. And uh, li- li- listen, best of luck to your Toronto Maple Leafs. This is going to be a, uh, at the very least, this is going to be entertaining, I think, for all of us in Canada to watch. So uh, and all of us in North America to watch. So listen, enjoy the uh, the series and uh, we'll do this again next week. Yeah, thanks. And uh, I feel like you don't really mean it on the good luck, but I will uh, I will take it. In the spirit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can you can. You can sense my lack of sincerity there. Hey, listen, thanks, though. I am being sincere here when I say thanks to everybody for joining us for this edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. We'll get you again next week. Like I said, uh, check out that new Tuesday edition of the show, Craig Custin, Sean Gentili. Uh, You should be able to have it in your feed. Just download the episode. They had uh, Ryan Miller on with them. And like I said, drop us an email, theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com, the voicemail. It's uh, super simple too, 845-445-8459. If you're not a subscriber, you can join us at theathletic.com slash hockey show.